0: Happy Father's Day. Do you have big plans? Eh, I hope all of your meat is cooked a perfect medium rare today, (laughs) that it is all delicious. We appreciate you, Dads. (laughs) Uh, I'm up here and I have this particular podium with me that Pastor Joel made as a commentary on his thoughts on my handiness. (laughs) He thought these Fisher Price tools fit best. With my level of handiness, I appreciate him. What's our series called? Tools for Wisdom. That's right. And, And hopefully, these little silly things remind you. Tools for Wisdom, as we are looking at the book of Proverbs. And what did we see the book of Proverbs is all about last week? The book of Proverbs is God's wisdom that helps us to understand the current for the way that he has made us to live. And in the book of Proverbs, there are wise people. Wise people live according to that current of the way that God has made people to live. But Proverbs also says there are foolish people. And how do the foolish people live? They live against the current of the way that God made people to live. And we don't have to read Proverbs very long and deal with these concepts of wisdom and foolishness before we realize that this entire book kind of comes down to our topic for today and that's decision making. The book of Proverbs is about wise and foolish decisions that we might make in our daily lives. And it wants to instruct us how we can make wise decisions according to the current of the way that God has made us. Anyone here interested in making wise decisions according to the current that God has given to us, right? I hope many of us in the room are interested in that. I have good news for you and challenging news for you if you want to make wise decisions. The good news is this, wisdom for decisions is accessible to us. Last week we read Proverbs chapter 1 verse 20 in which wisdom is personified as standing on the street corner crying out to everyone because wisdom is not hiding. It's there for all of us, for anyone. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding come from the mouth or by the words of God. And where do we find God's words? You know the answer to that, right? Every single one of us has an opportunity to walk out of here today with the wisdom of God for living in our hands. It is open and accessible to each and every one of us, isn't it? But there's also challenging news. Not bad news, but challenging news. While the wisdom of God for our decision-making is accessible to each and every person, the challenge is this, it takes effort and time and commitment to attain it. It's accessible to all of us, but it takes wisdom and time and commitment to attain it. Remember what Proverbs 2, 1 through 4 said, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding... Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. What does it take to gain wisdom and insight to apply to our daily lives and our daily decisions? This passage says it takes receiving it, treasuring it, being attentive, inclining your heart, calling out for it, seeking it, and searching it. Because... While wisdom for decision making is open and accessible to all of us, it takes effort and time and commitment to attain that wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to take the principles of God's word and apply it to specific situations where they fit in our life. That's wisdom. The ability to know the principles of God's word throughout the whole counsel of God's word. To know his character out of which those principles flow and be able to take those principles and rightly apply them to the situations and decisions that we face in our daily life. Proverbs has all sorts of counsel for us to seek wise counsel. What is wise counsel? Wise counsel are counselors who are able to take the principles that God has given us in his word and rightly apply them to the situations that we face and the decisions that we face in our lives. Proverbs has all kinds of warnings about seeking out counsel that tells you what you want to hear. There are all kinds of people in this world who will tell you what you want to hear because they want you to be pleased with them. And Proverbs says, don't seek them out as counselors. Seek the wise out who can take the principles of the whole counsel of God and apply them to our situations. I was talking to a woman in our church recently who has, over the course of the last year, been witnessing to her next-door neighbor, built a relationship with her, been talking to her about church stuff, then been talking to her about Jesus, talking to her about the gospel. And two or three months ago, she could sense that the neighbor started to draw back a little bit from that relationship. And as they talked a little more, she recognized she's drawing back because I'm not vaccinated. And she doesn't understand why I have no plan to get vaccinated. And so she began to wrestle through this. This is impacting my ability to share the gospel over here. What do I do in all of this? And as she prayed about it and thought about it, she came to a place where she said, 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 25 gives me the principle to apply in this particular situation. And she acted in that situation according to the wisdom of God and that principle that applies to that situation. Many months ago, I was talking to a couple in our church that lead a life group. And the life group all wanted to meet together. They wanted to meet in a home. But one of the couples in the life group said, if we're going to all meet together, I want everybody to wear a mask. My, My friends who led this life group were not excited about that. Wearing a mask in the home while we meet as a life group. And they prayed about it and processed it. And as they prayed about it and processed it and thought about it, they recognized, you know, I think 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14, Hebrews 10 are the principles that apply to this situation. We need to live out those principles as we make decisions about this. I was talking to a couple at a graduation party a couple weeks ago. There have been a few of those recently. Anybody been to a graduation party? Yeah, absolutely. 700 or something like that. And as I was there, a couple from another church approached me with issues they were having with a decision that had been made at their church. They found out I was a pastor. Sweet, this is our chance to corner him and get his input on this. (laughs) And as they were talking to me, I just kept pointing them back to principles of Scripture about how they're supposed to handle this discontent that they had. We, We just kept going back to Hebrews 13 and Titus 1 and Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 and on and on. How how do we handle this? The scripture helps us apply those principles to those circumstances that go with them. I was talking to a man a few weeks ago who was trying to decide between staying in his current job or going to a new job. He'd experienced a little bit of frustration because as he searched the scripture, there was not a particular verse that told him which job to take. Anyone ever done that search? But as he dug in, he recognized how much God values right motives in the decisions that we make and the need for godly motives in what he was doing. And as he recognized these two opportunities, he realized that his motives were not the same towards these two opportunities. And that passages like 1 John three sixteen through 18, passages like Matthew chapter 5, Uh, Passages like Titus chapter 1 all seem to apply to this particular situation and his motives in this situation. And it really helped make the decision clear for him because he was able to take the principles from God's word that flow out of God's character and apply them to the specific situations that he faced in everyday life. As you hear this, do you recognize that there is work and effort involved in the way of wisdom? That we have to dig in and know God's character deeply and intimately, and know deeply the principles that He's given us in His Word to live by if we're going to be able to apply those principles in the way of wisdom that He's given us as we live day in and day out. And because there's effort in digging into the Word of God, knowing it deeply, knowing it intimately, over the course of my 25 years in ministry, I've seen people in churches take unhealthy shortcuts in their decision-making. Right? Unhealthy shortcuts. We, we love shortcuts in our society, right? Why eat healthy if there's a pill I can take that'll help me lose weight? Why work out if I can wrap cellophane around my belly in order to get rid of that? Right? We, lo- we love shortcuts. And, and I've seen bel- believers in churches take decision-making shortcuts... As they've made decisions and sought God's voice in what they're doing. I'm going to share with you six unhealthy shortcuts that I've seen over the course of my time in ministry. And as we do that, I want to warn you, I'm going to step on some toes as we do this. I know I'm going to step on some toes because of these six shortcuts I have participated in most, if not all of them, at some point in my life. And chances are many of you have as well. First unhealthy shortcut that I've seen people use. Oh, sorry. Wisdom is applying the principles of God's word to decisions in our lives. First unhealthy shortcut. Playing biblical roulette. You know what that is? I got a decision to make. I'm going to flip open the Bible. I'm going to put my finger down on a verse. And that is God's word for this decision. Right? I mean, I hear you laughing. I also know. Come on now. At some point, you've done it. I decided to do this for illustration purposes. When my son was making a college decision a couple of years ago. Flipped open my Bible, put my finger down, came up with Psalm 119, 161. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Hmm. I don't know. A heart stands in awe of your words. Maybe you supposed to go to a Christian college? Is that what it's saying? Okay, I didn't get anything real clear on there, so I tried it again. Flipped it open. Isaiah 16:1. Send the Lamb to the ruler of the land from Salah by way of the desert way of the desert, Arizona State? (laughs) Is that where he's supposed to go? It's an appealing approach because I don't have to actually become familiar with the whole counsel of God and grow intimate with him in order to make wise decisions. I can just point and say, well, I think that's God's word for this particular situation. But what's wrong with that? I'm just lifting verses entirely out of their context and applying them to situations that they don't actually apply to. God doesn't want us to make decisions that way. He calls us instead to the way of wisdom, to know the whole counsel of God and apply it rightly. Now, a more common form of biblical roulette, rather than the finger pointing, is to take the verse of the day that comes up on our Bible app and just claim it as God's promise for whatever is big in front of me that day. There was a guy several years ago whose wife was in hospice care he had been told that she was near the end of his life. And his Bible app gave him this verse one day, Psalm 118, 17, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. He claimed it as God's promise for his wife. And he went in and he told all of the hospital staff that God had made a promise to him. His wife was not going to die, but she was going to be revived and walk out healthy. Two days later, she was dead. And damage was done to the name of Jesus. Why? Because this man is terribly misusing the scripture. What did he do wrong? Well, this is a descriptive verse about something that is going to happen in the psalmist's life. Not, not a promise to all people at all times. We can't just take any descriptive passage and then make it a promise about our life. God said Jezebel was going to be eaten by dogs. That's not a promise that makes me wary every time I come around a dog, Right? We need to take the passages of scripture that apply to those situations and apply them to those situations, not just randomly rip verses out of context and say, that's God's word for this particular situation. We want to be very careful about participating in that unhealthy shortcut of playing biblical roulette. A second unhealthy shortcut, using emotional calm as proof. I've got a decision to make. I start to go down this pathway. I feel an emotional calm. That must be God telling me that this is the direction that I need to go. I just, I just have such a peace about it. We can, friends, experience emotional calm for all kinds of reasons in our life. Jonah was making the worst decision of his life as he was running away from the direct command of God and in the midst of a terrible storm, he is experiencing no emotional turmoil whatsoever as he sleeps soundly in the bottom of the boat. Jesus is making the greatest decision of all time to go to the cross on our behalf and how much emotional calm is he experiencing the night before as he sweats drops like blood? My son... Uh, called me earlier in this school year because he thought he needed to have a hard conversation with a couple of the guys in his dorm. And as we talked, it was clear he had no emotional calm about having this conversation because it was a hard conversation. Did he need to have it? Absolutely. But emotional calm can be just as much, if not more, about making a decision that's easy or comfortable than it can God actually speaking to us in the midst of that particular decision. And so we don't want to use emotional calm as the proof of God's voice as we're making decisions. It's an unhealthy shortcut. Third unhealthy shortcut. Using a fleece. Anyone ever thrown a fleece out before God? I know I have. We... When we use a fleece, we take some sort of test and we put it out before God and we say, God, if you accomplish this test, then I know that this particular thing is your will. Uh, I read years ago about a young lady at Denver Seminary who was really wrestling with whether or not she should go and see her family over Christmas break or whether she should go on a ski trip with her friends. Now, that doesn't sound like a very important decision, right? But she was really wrestling with it and really wanted God to speak into this decision. And as she was wrestling with it, she decided to put a fleece down before God. She said, God, if anyone sends me money in November and December this year, I'm going to take that as a sign that you want me to go on this ski trip. Right? That's a fleece before God. Here's something, God, if you accomplish it, then I know this is your desire. Where does this idea of putting a fleece before God come from? And it comes from the book of Judges, doesn't it? From the story of a man named Gideon. What do you know about that account with Gideon? God came to Gideon and said, Gideon, the Midianites have taken over Israel and I want you to drive them out. And what was Gideon's response? Not little old me. You can't possibly be me. And God said, yes, you Gideon. Gideon said, no, you can't possibly mean me. Me. Gideon said, God, if you really mean me, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put a fleece out on the ground. And if this is really what you want, then I want you to make all of the ground dry, but the fleece wet. And the next day, what happened? Exactly what Gideon was looking for. Gideon said, Well, maybe this was just some sort of big dew related accident. And so let's try this again, only this time, God, I want you to make all of the ground wet and the fleece dry. And it happened. And people use this idea of putting a fleece out before God as a way to try and test decisions. Is this really your will, God? What's wrong with using Gideon's fleeces as a model for our decision-making? Well, first of all, Gideon's fleece wasn't about determining the will of God. God already told him exactly what he wanted him to do. Gideon's fleece was about unbelief. Gideon wasn't trying to determine, God, what do you want here? God told him directly. Gideon's fleece was about unbelief. Second, and perhaps a larger problem, when we put fleeces out like this before God, we rarely do them Gideon style where there is a genuine miracle involved if it happens. Remember that young lady at Denver Seminary? She decided to process a little bit of this with her New Testament professor. And as she was processing with her New Testament professor, he said, "Uh, does does anyone ever send you money? She said, yeah, five, six times a year, my family sends me money. He said, so you're you're just looking to see if you get any money in November and December? She's like, yeah, and if I do, then that's the sign I'm supposed to go on the the trip. And the New Testament professor said, that's not a Gideon-style fleece. A fleece is a miracle. He said, if you want to put a fleece out before God, do this. Pray that if you're supposed to go on this particular ski trip, that the President of the United States would send you a personal check for the exact amount of the ski trip. And then if you really want it to be Gideon-style, pray that the following day, the Prime Minister of Great Britain would send you a check for the exact same amount. Because that's a Gideon-style miracle. Better yet, let's not follow Gideon as our model for decision-making. A man who struggles throughout the account of his life with unbelief and ultimately led those around him into idolatry may not be our best model for how we should make decisions. Perhaps instead we should make decisions according to God's way of wisdom and the book that he's given to us. Let's be careful about using fleeces. It's an unhealthy shortcut in making our decisions. Fourth unhealthy shortcut, reading circumstances like tea leaves. In this model, I have a decision to make, and I decide to read and exegete life's circumstances in order to determine the voice of God in those circumstances. Anyone? I've got to decide between working for this oil company or working at the recycling plant. Oil company, recycling plant, oil company, recycling plant. I'm driving home processing this decision, and as I'm on my way home, all of the lights along my streets are green. Oh, green. God wants me to work at the recycling plant, clearly. Right? Now that's silly, but it's actually not that far from certain things I've heard. As people try to read the circumstances around them like tea leaves in order to determine the voice of God. Now, I don't want you to think that I am saying you should ignore your circumstances. God can and does mold our circumstances. And the way of wisdom is to so thoroughly understand our circumstances that we can take the appropriate principles from God's word and apply them to those circumstances. So please don't hear me say, ignore your circumstances. Don't pay any attention to them. You have to be able to rightly understand your circumstances to know which principles apply. But we shouldn't go around trying to read our circumstances like tea leaves or tarot cards to say, oh, look at this, these seven things lined up, so clearly God's taking me in this direction. We just don't see that within Scripture. If we do that, we can wind up looking like those islanders on Malta when Paul landed after the shipwreck. And they went around in order to gather firewood, and what happened to Paul? Paul was bit by a viper. And all of those people on Malta read the circumstances and said, this man must be a murderer. Because look it, he got what he had coming. And after Paul was bit by the viper, what happened to him? He didn't die. And so all those people on Malta read the circumstances and said, he must be a god, let's worship him. Right? Circumstances can be challenging to read. Would you have walked into that cave where there was a poor family with a baby laying in a feeding trough surrounded by animals and said, yep, that's the king of kings. Would you have walked up to the chains in that Roman jail and seen Paul chained 18 inches from a Roman guard, mostly blind, about to be executed, and said, that's the guy to talk to if you want the key to life to the fall circumstances can be challenging and God has given us a more clear way to make our decisions through wisdom rather than reading circumstances like tea leaves unhealthy shortcut number five using open doors as signs I start to go in this direction the doors are just opening clearly this is God's will for my life anyone what's wrong with that I pursue the path if if God just keeps opening the doors clearly this is what he wants for me The problem is, is that within the New Testament, open doors represent opportunities, not necessarily opportunities that need to be taken. I'll say that again. Within the New Testament, open doors represent opportunities, not necessarily opportunities that need to be taken or that represent God's desire. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9, Paul says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Listen to this. For a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Well, that seems to prove the exact opposite of what I just said. Paul says, I'm going to stay in Ephesus. Why is he going to stay in Ephesus? Because an open door is there. He says, I'm making my decision because there's an open door. And if this was the only verse in the New Testament that used this phrase open door, we would say, that's maybe how we should use open doors to determine God's will. But we only have to read two and a half chapters later. When we come to Second Corinthians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13, which says, "When I, Paul, came to Trous to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open to me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there." So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. What does Paul say there? There was an open door. But I wasn't at ease because I couldn't find my boy Titus. And so, I turned and went the other way. Right? Why? Wasn't there an open door? Yes. But in the New Testament, an open door is simply an opportunity. Not an opportunity that stands for the voice of God. In Colossians 4, 3 and 4, Paul says, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may... Open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. In this situation, Paul isn't reading an open door to determine the will of God. Paul is saying, please pray for an open door because in the New Testament, open doors are opportunities. They are specifically and always opportunities for the gospel to go forward. Within the New Testament, open doors are always opportunities for the gospel to go forward. If your life is filled with open doors right now, great. That means you've got lots of opportunities in front of you. But don't look at those opportunities and declare them to be the voice of God in your life. In the New Testament, they're simply opportunities, not opportunities that have to be taken. Using open doors as signs is an unhealthy shortcut. Finally, the final unhealthy shortcut, elevating inner in feelings and impressions to the voice of God. Someone's wrestling through a decision and they are waiting for some sort of inner feeling or impression or movement in their gut which they can then determine to be the voice of God and act upon that because God's spoken to them through their feelings and through impressions. What job should I take? God, I'm just waiting. Waiting on you to give me a feeling in one direction or another. A movement in my gut, an impression in some way. God, what should I preach about this week? I'm not turning in a PowerPoint outline until you give me a feeling in my gut, an impression of some sort. In the Bible, we don't ever see God speak to people through inner gut feelings or whispers to their heart. When we wait to hear from God, waiting on some sort of inner feeling or inner impression, the challenge is when we don't receive one and we say, why doesn't God speak to us? When in fact, God is speaking so very clearly to us. His Holy Spirit wants to use the principles of this work to work that wisdom throughout your life for the decisions that you need to make. And we go, God, where are you? What's going on? When in fact, he wants to speak to us so clearly again and again. Worse yet, we're tempted to elevate an inner impression to the voice of God and make claims about God speaking that aren't true. God has a lot to say. About people who claim to speak on his behalf but don't in his word. We're, we're to be very careful about that. And when we take inner impressions and feelings and say, that's the voice of God, we're in dangerous territory. I want to be clear: our society wants to teach us that this is how we are to make decisions. Right? Luke Skywalker and the Jedi, this is how they make decisions. God feelings. Inner impressions, feel the force. Eastern religions that all those movies are based upon, that is how they want you to make decisions. Empty yourself of everything. And then whatever comes in, that is your leading in this particular situation. Eastern religions and movies want you to make decisions according to inner feelings and God impressions. God says they want you to make decisions according to the way of wisdom. To so thoroughly saturate yourself with my character and my principles in the book that my spirit can use them to apply them to any situation that you come into. It's appealing. It's appealing. I, I, don't, I don't actually have to spend a whole lot of time studying the Word of God and knowing what He says in here if I can just elevate my inner impressions to be His voice. Uh, it, it sounds super spiritual for me to be able to say, "Well, well, God told me or God said." But in fact, it can be the exact opposite of spiritual as we use decision making processes that the scripture doesn 't teach us. Instead of these decision making shortcuts, what does God call us to? He calls us to the challenging the challenging way of wisdom, where there 's time. And there's effort, seeking deep intimacy with him in his word, seeking deep understanding of the principles that he's given us so that we can apply them to our daily decisions. If we're going to operate according to the way of wisdom in the way that we handle our daily lives and in the way that we make decisions, then we have to be a people who know the word. Wise decision-making takes knowing the word of God. There are no shortcuts to making wise decisions. And the more we know about God's character from the word of God, and the more we know about the principles that he has for us to live by that flow out of his character, the better wise decisions we're going to be able to make in our daily lives. Uh, Think about it like this. Let's say that I give you these letters. And I say, out of these letters... I want you to construct the names of as many people as you can that you're related to. Just using these letters that are up on the screen, go ahead and spend a minute just constructing as many names of people that you're related to as you possibly can. Are you coming up with dozens and dozens? Would it work differently if instead of those letters, I gave you those letters to work with? That's not all the letters, but it's a lot of the letters. And isn't it helpful in terms of making names? I know it's helpful for me as I walk through my family. I can make a couple from my immediate family. I can make five or six more from just my small extended family just with these letters. And in the same way, when we're casual about our relationship to God's word, We are limiting the resources that God has given to us to make wise decisions. If we're not digging into God's character and the principles that flow out of it, we don't have what we need in order to bring those principles over and apply them for wise living in the circumstances that we face. The the more letters you have, the easier it is to form those names. The better you understand God's character and the principles he's given us in his word, the better you're going to be able to wisely apply that to the circumstances that you face in your daily life. And so, God calls us to search, seek, dig in, saturate our lives with the word of God so that we are not leaning on our own understanding So that we are not leaning on the common sense of our current society. But that our decisions are made according to the principles of God's word. We need to be a people who are making, in wise decision making, know the word. Second, wise decision making, we have to go to prayer. We have to be a people who are dedicated to praying. It is in prayer and time with God that he reminds me of the principles that best fit the certain situations that I'm in. It is in praying and time with God that he reminds me of how deeply he is concerned about the motives of my heart in the decisions that I'm making and reveals the motives that are governing my heart as I make decisions. It's in prayer that God reminds me of his greatest priorities and aligns my heart with his greatest priorities as I'm walking through my days and making decisions. These things have to go together if we're going to be wise decision makers the way that God defines it. We have to be a people who are saturating our life with the word and who are spending time with God in prayer. Allowing his spirit to lead and guide us. Which really brings me to the last point I want to make. And that is wise decision making is guided by the Holy Spirit. God's spirit speaks through our minds in order to give us wisdom from the word about each situation that we face. We fill our hearts and minds with the word of God, with a deep love for the character of God, with understandings of the principles of God's word, and God's Holy Spirit uses those things that we have saturated our lives with and brings them out in particular situations so that we move and act according to the will of God. I was talking to... uh, man from our congregation about a situation that he faced at work. And as he was talking to me about this, he said, well, all of this was going on in my situation at work, and I decided that I needed to act in this way because, and then he named a principle from the word of God. He actually, uh, he actually kind of paraphrased a verse as he did it. He said, I, I think this principle applies to this situation. So at his work, he acted in this particular way. And then as he went along, he said, and that led me into this conversation. In this conversation, I said this because, and then he named another principle from the word of God. What's going on in that particular situation? God's spirit is leading and guiding him with the principles of his word that he has hidden in his heart and put in his head, leading and guiding him so that he is doing what God calls him to do in action and in word in that particular situation. Because God's Spirit uses what we put in here in those situations in order to make us wise and to act according to what God would have us do. The Spirit is working, I want, to, I want you to hear this word, this is so important. Spirit is working through the believer's mind, through the believer's thinking to bring the scriptural principles that fit best with that situation. They're being transformed by the renewing of their mind and God's Spirit is using that in order to help them walk out godly living in those situations. I know so many believers who want God to speak to them. They they want God to speak to them in a direct and miraculous way about the decisions that they face. God, I face this decision about whether or not I should take this job, whether or not I should date this person, whether or not I should, you fill in the blank. And I want you to speak to me about that through a dream, through a vision, by writing it in the clouds. Lord, speak to me in some way about this. God can do that. I thoroughly believe God can do that. God can speak to us in miraculous and direct ways. But as we read through the book of Acts, there's a couple of things that should temper our expectations about that. Particularly as we read through the book of Acts, after God's Spirit indwells His people, what we see is first... God's spirit speaks to people. God speaks to people directly through visions. He speaks to them through dreams. He speaks to them audibly. But he always does so at his own initiation. Never once in the book of Acts is somebody sitting around trying to make a life decision. And God speaks to them in one of these ways. Never once is somebody like, Lord, should I, should I date this guy from Antioch? Or should I add on to my house here in Jerusalem? And God comes and intervenes and says, here's your answer to that. No, when God speaks in the book of Acts, he initiates. It's never in response to a particular decision that someone is making. And there is no way to invoke his voice. Second... Every time God speaks through a vision, through an audible voice, through a dream within the book of Acts, it is about the spread of the gospel. Every time, it is about how the gospel is going to spread because that's God's priority. We want God to speak to us about what college we're going to go to. He may not do that. That's not his priority. The spread of the gospel is his priority, and he may speak to us in a miraculous and a direct way about that. Rather than looking for God to speak to our minds in some miraculous and direct way, we should recognize the supernatural way that his Holy Spirit works through our minds and through our thoughts in order to bring about the principles of Scripture at just the right time to help us make decisions in wise ways. When someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, what's the normal way that that happens? The normal way that that happens is that someone comes and shares the gospel with that person and they come to faith in Jesus Christ, right? We might think of that as the natural way that someone comes to faith in Jesus. Do we recognize it as deeply supernatural? Absolutely we do. But we might still think of it as the natural way that someone comes to faith in Jesus. Someone shares the gospel with them, which is why Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how are they going to respond to the gospel unless somebody goes and tells them? But are there times where God works in miraculous and direct ways to spread the gospel in certain cultures through dreams or through visions or even through an audible voice speaking the gospel into people's lives? You may believe differently about this, but I believe he does. I believe that there are times when he speaks through dreams and visions. I've heard missionaries tell these accounts, and I believe them to be true. At least some of them. But that is not the normal way that a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Right? The normal way that a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ is when someone shares the gospel with them. Dreams, visions, those kinds of things, those are the abnormal way that the gospel might come to someone. In that same sense, the normal way that God is going to speak to you about your decisions is to speak through your mind and your thoughts, giving you wisdom about how to apply the scriptural principles to a particular situation that you face. Might he at some point speak abnormally through a dream, through a vision, through writing in the clouds? Yes. As we said, God spoke through a donkey once. I'm not going to limit that. But we need to recognize that's the abnormal way. The normal way is for God's Spirit to work through your thoughts and through your mind in order to give you wisdom for the decisions that you're going to make. And God's Spirit will not work to give you wisdom when it comes to God's principles if you've never looked at those principles. If we don't saturate our lives, our minds, and our hearts with the Word of God... We are limiting what God's Spirit is going to work with in giving us wisdom. And so what do we want to be? We want to be a people who make wise decisions according to the current. That means saturating our lives with the Word of God. That means going to God every day in prayer and seeking His Holy Spirit's wisdom about how those principles of the Word apply to our daily lives but we want to be that people who saturate our lives with God's word for the sake of wisdom. And I want to pray that we would be that people. Would you guys bow your heads with me right now? Father, as we bow our heads, we recognize that we live within a society in which the idea of saturating our lives with your words is becoming less and less common, less and less appealing. There's greater and greater Um, scriptural misunderstanding and ignorance. Even within the church, we recognize there's been a movement towards an appeal, towards experiences and, Lord, opportunities for flash and pizzazz. Lord, help us to stand against the current of the world and stand with your current, your current that calls us to seek to search, to dig deep, to cry out for the wisdom of your word. Lord, help us to be a people of the word, be a people of prayer, so that your spirit will work through us this week, giving us the wisdom we need to live in the way that you're calling us. In Jesus' name, amen.